And then if you have to further your education, like we do in New York City, you can decide to go to the cheapest option, right? Or apply for scholarships. I would have never gotten that degree if it wasn't for the scholarship. Welcome to the Teacher Money Show, the podcast dedicated to helping educators like yourself navigate your unique financial challenges and unlock your financial superpowers. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, a full-time teacher and entrepreneur, and I'm here to help teachers navigate everything related to your money. Whether you have questions about budgeting on a teacher's salary, managing student loans, increasing your income, or making the most of your benefits, I'm here to make money less confusing, more empowering, and a tool you can use to focus on what matters most. So whether you're a seasoned teacher looking for fresh insights or a new educator navigating your first paycheck, this podcast is your go-to resource for all things money-related. So if you're ready to have a richer wallet, classroom, and life, let's dive in. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither I nor my guests are engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should not act upon this information without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. I'm so excited to have Miss Black here. It's going to be a fantastic episode. Miss Black is just really on top of everything about uh, teachers and money and also helping uh, uh, people in the Black community really understand finances. And I'm so excited to be able to talk to her specifically about how teachers uh, can really do the planning they need to do to uh, just nail their finances in retirement. We're going to be actually doing a series of podcasts uh, together where we talk about uh, financial planning for retirement at the beginning of your teaching career. And then uh, another one about uh, what you should consider in the middle of your career and toward the end of your career. So in this podcast, we'll talk about the beginning. And if that's not you, you can still probably get some a lot of really great ideas from that. Uh, and if it is you, then buckle up. This is going to really help you out. Uh, before we uh, introduce uh, Ms. Black here, just want to remind everyone to please uh, subscribe to the show, to leave an honest rating review. If you're on YouTube, you know, leave a comment. All those things help this show uh, go so much further. All right, let's uh, let's get started with Miss Black. So Miss Black is the host of the Staying in the Black Teachers and Money podcast. She is a single mom, a homeowner, and a public school educator in New York City. She loves traveling the world with her family, and she has two properties and uh, is one mortgage away from being totally debt-free. Her passion for personal finance allows her to talk to teachers about maximizing their benefits and the eight keys to financial empowerment, saving, budgeting, investing, earning more, debt reduction, insurance, estate planning, and credit. She has over $900,000 in her retirement accounts, not including her pension. That's a nice retirement. <laughs> Many teachers have resigned themselves to living with limited funds. She helps support teachers in maximizing their financial options and or identifying side hustles that help them lead financially empowered lives. So if anyone is qualified to talk about this, this topic of preparing yourself for uh, you know, retirement with good financial planning, it is definitely Miss Black. Welcome to the show, Miss Black. Thank you. That was a nice introduction. I'm like hearing this, like that is me. So that was cool. <laughs> well, you deserve it. So I'm super excited to talk to you about it. Let's just uh, 
let's start off with just a bit of an introduction on you. Uh, can you tell us about your education journey? So I actually started off as a Teach for America teacher, right? So I thought that um, before I joined Teach for America, I thought that I would become a lawyer and then a judge. And when I retired from the system, I would then come back and teach at John Jay High School because in New York City, our high schools allow kids to like major um, from ninth grade in something that they were interested in. Uh, but a classmate said to me, like, I think Teach for America is the thing for you, so you should try and apply. And I applied and I got in. Um, and then when it was time for my my uh, two years to be up, I was like, do I want to spend $120,000 to get a degree to miss my kids, right? The idea of sitting in a cubicle reading towards and cases, it just no, it no longer appealed to me because I had spent, you know, two years uh, working with kids and having that interaction. And, you know, I even took my LSAT. So it wasn't like it was just like, oh, I don't, you know, I can't cut it. It was just literally like, I enjoyed working with students. And I think because I saw it in my long-term plan, eventually I kind of said, well, uh, you got to education before uh, the law thing. And I haven't regretted it. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I haven't regretted it. That's that's amazing. You know, a lot of teachers regret it. And I actually, I, I used to regret it. Um, <laughs> I, I found a job that I absolutely love. And it's really like reignited my passion for teaching. But uh, just to hear teachers who are an all in invested in it and making bank at the same time, that is what we're all about here. Right. So let's talk about a teacher at the beginning of their career and the things that they need to consider when they're planning for retirement. Now, if you are a 20 something teacher, you're probably like retirement. Who cares? First of all, why should they care? Yeah, so um, it's really interesting. Um, I'm towards the end of my career, right? So when people ask me, I have like four to seven years. Like I can retire in four years or I can do like full retirement age in seven years. Um, I was really, so I've been through the new to the mid and now I'm at the end of the teacher um, stage. And I can just say certain things that I did at the beginning of my career, that makes it so that right now I have the option about when I retire. Um, and like, because people always ask, like, what do you mean four to seven years? Like, just the way the New York City public school systems um, retirement system is is set up at the time that I started, it allowed me to um, choose something called twenty five fifty five, where I could retire after twenty five years of service. And I recognize that not all school districts offer that. But as a new teacher, if you plan, right, and automate now, when you get to my stage, it's not even a thing, right? I don't, I really don't think about it. I don't stress about it. It's just like, I had a wonderful buddy teacher and you get a buddy teacher because they're supposed to help you as a new teacher set up like your classroom and your lesson planning. But I was blessed with a buddy teacher who not only helped me with that, but she also helped me with my finances. She made me go um, in the city, like you have two retirement systems in the city and I wasn't eligible for one. So she made me go and sign up for the other one. Like she stayed on me. And what she said to me was like, I hope you find love and everything works out, but you have to take care of this so that you 
are, you have a choice when you get to my age. She had to come back to work because she had gotten divorced and she had to come back to work to continue to live at the lifestyle that she wanted to. So she imparted this knowledge on me so that even if I got divorced, I wouldn't have to come back to work um, if I didn't want to. Like, she was just like, if you put these things in place, which meant that putting away from my retirement, I was putting away a lot less um, than she was because my money was going to sit for so long, right? So that's the magic of compound interest. I was able to put away a smaller amount because I was younger and I had a longer time horizon. Um, she actually did my taxes for me the first two years um, <laughs> that I was a teacher. Like she totally took care of me financially. Um, but she also sparked in me the desire to learn about the finances, right? Because I used to follow, I followed her blindly. And then I said to myself, you need to understand why you're doing the things that she's telling you to do. Um, you know, she didn't she didn't get me any, any pyramid schemes or recommended advisors for me to go to. She was just like, these are the steps. She was really good on my benefits and telling me how to maximize my benefits. Wow. That is incredibly uh, fortunate to have somebody to help you out right out of the gate. You know, it, there's so many blessings to having uh, the right financial footing early on. Uh, but hearing this, you know, like, oh, you know, you need to start you know, contributing to retirement. You need to put some money aside. I can hear that pushback of, well, I have student loans, right? I have other financial obligations. I'm getting paid a pittance because I'm on the first year teacher run. Mm -hmm. What are some things that a teacher can consider when they're in that situation? So I had all those things, right? I moved to one of the most expensive, well, I'm from, so I moved back home, which was to the one of the most expensive cities in New York, in the country, which was New York City. So I returned home. My starting salary was $29,611, right? I also had student loans that I had to pay back. Now, what I did have being Teach for America was two things going for me with them. They, at the time, and I think they still are a part of AmeriCorps. So I got about $9,000 from them that I could use to repay my student loans or pay to further my education. And in New York City, to be a permanent teacher, you have to have a master's degree, right? And I went to, at the time, the number one education school in the nation, which was Teachers College at Columbia University. And the tuition at the time was $34,000. So you hear my salary was $29,000, but my tuition was $34,000 at the time. How did I afford that? I applied for a scholarship. And so I got the scholarship at, at TC and I wasn't like, I didn't have the highest GPA, but I applied and I worked for the public school system and I was granted that scholarship, which gave me credits in the fall, gave me credits in the spring. And then they told me when I got this scholarship, it wasn't guaranteed a renewal. So when I went to renew for the second year so that I could finish this master's degree, they were like, yeah, we're not going to renew it. So I knocked on doors and I was just like, look, it's a shame that you're not renewing my scholarship, not because, or I can't finish this degree, not because I'm not academically able to do so, but because I can't afford to do it. And I'm a New York City public school teacher teaching in a hard to staff 
district. So somebody loved my star, my my sob story. I don't know who it was, but then the next week I got a letter at home saying that my scholarship had been renewed for the same agreement that it was initially, which was like six credits in the fall and six credits in the spring. So in order for me to graduate, I still ended up paying for about, I think, 10 credits or so. And I was able to use my Teach for America money to pay for those credits because I took summer school classes because I wanted to finish that degree uh, as soon as possible. Now, when you're in school, and I was a low, considered a low income student when I was an undergrad. So I graduated with student loans, but I had Stanford loans, which meant that if I was in school and because I did Teach for America, my loans went into deferment, not forbearance. So you just really have to understand what your loan packages are and then what is available to you. So like right now, you know, when I started, that 10 years of service thing didn't come into <laughs> into agreement until like halfway into my teaching career. But if you know that you have that agreement and you and you're committed to staying in education, that's what I mean, like you don't regret it, you can do an income-based repayment, but if you make your 120 payments and you work for a school district and most school districts qualify for that loan reimbursement, then you can afford, you'll be paying the minimum on your loans because it's based on what you, um, on your income, right, and where you live. So that will lower your, your loan payment to something that is generally affordable because you're doing income-based. And then if you have to further your education, like we do in New York City, you can decide to go to the cheapest option, right, or apply for scholarships. I would have never gotten that degree if it wasn't for the scholarship. I couldn't, like, it was more than my gross salary, and I wasn't willing to take on that additional student loan debt in order to keep my job. So I went to Teachers College because I got the scholarship. Had I not gotten the scholarship to Teachers College, I would have gone to City College, which is a reputable school, reputable um, education school, but would have cost me like, I think like a sixth of what I was paying. And how, and, and I can tell you that because after I got that master's degree, I entered another master's program to get my administration administrative license, and I had to, to pay for two classes. One class at Teachers College cost me $2,100. Two classes at the City College cost me $1,400. So when I went to pay my bill and they were like, you just owe fourteen, you owe $1,400, I was like, yeah, so when's my next payment? And they were like, no, you see here, this is how much your classes cost. This is what your student fees are. And it's a total of $1,400. And I said, for everything? And they were like, yes, for everything. I couldn't believe it after going to an Ivy League university to then going to City College um, was a huge difference. That is fantastic advice. So I mean, if you are at the very, very beginning as a teacher, right, you know, you can make really smart financial decisions around your uh, <clears throat> school choice, right, where you go, getting scholarships. You can do a lot of things to reduce the amount of debt you could end up having uh, working while you're in school. I graduated my bachelor's degree and my master's degree debt-free because I worked my tail off. Uh, you could do it too if you, if you chose to do that, right? Mm -hmm. You get scholarships as well. Uh, 
the easy route is to get loans and then you pay them after that. Uh, master's degrees, there are so many inexpensive options. I got a master's degree, no joke, for less than four grand because there's a school called Western Governors University that charges mm-hmm. you per six months of instruction. And however many classes you can finish in six months, that's it. And I finished the entire thing in six months. It wasn't my favorite summer, <laughs> but I finished the whole thing in six months. Yeah. And I had a master's degree at the end, yeah. right? So it, there, there are options out there if you're willing to put in the work to really reduce the the amount of money that you are uh, paying out for education, which then consequently increases the amount of money that you make every single year as you go up on that education pay scale at your school. So that, that's really important to keep in mind that you can do things to reduce the money you pay, and then that increases the amount of money you make. And mm-hmm. that's the that's what you can do instead of saying, like, oh, I make four grand more per year. I'm going to go you know, buy a car. I'm going to go do this or that. <clears throat> that's the money that you can use to then start investing for the future, start preparing for retirement. Exactly. And the other part that's important about that is, so the $1,400 that I paid for the city college, that was all I paid for that master's degree because I had gotten, I had entered an administrative program, which paid for that master's degree, right? So that was yet another program called New Leaders for New Schools at the time. And so in order, and the only, in and you have to be smart, right, about the choices that you make. So you can't always be cheap. <laughs> Sometimes you have, you, to me, it's not about being cheap or being frugal. It's about being smart. So with the New Leaders Program, they paid for all of my classes to get, at because New York City is all about certifications. So they paid for all of my classes to get, at the time, what was called a school administrator's certificate, right? And so I didn't need a master's degree for that certificate, but I had to have an administrative position for five years in order for that certificate, that certification to become permanent. I didn't really want to play those games. I like, I was like, am I going to get a job? Will I be able to stay there for five years? So if I got the master's degree, which is why I had to pay for those two classes, I would get something called an SDA, a supervisor, a supervision of district administrator, which was a higher certification so paying that $1,400 gave me this, the certification. What those extra two classes also did, because in New York City we have, you get your bachelor's degree, you can do that for five years before you need a master's degree. So you get another jump when you get the master's degree. But you get yet another jump when you have 30 credits beyond your master's degree. So those two classes gave me 30 credits beyond my master's degree. And therefore, I was able to... Um, I was able to increase my salary two steps over. So not only was it the years, the number of years that I was teaching, but then I had the master. So that was a salary jump. And then I added on the 30. So yet I had another, so understand like how your system works. Also when, I, because I was young, I didn't have children. So I had roommate, right? I, I was living in Harlem. I had a, um, a roommate in a pre-war building, whereas some Teach for America, my cohort members, they were living on the Upper West Side or the Upper East Side, and they had doormen, and they had, you know, and even then, they would tell, like, they were paying probably three times as much more rent as I did 
to share an apartment that was probably half the size because New York City is really expensive. But I was from New York and coming back to New York, like I knew neighborhoods that I would be comfortable in because I grew up there. So I was fine living in Harlem. And this is like when Harlem was becoming, you know, the it place to live. And I found a rent controlled apartment with my roommate who was studying to go to medical school. So we split the bills 50-50. And that also helped me save a lot of money because I was only making $29,000, right? I also moved closer to my school. I also like bought the monthly Metro card and did everything, you know, it's the city. So that's the one thing we had good, you know, good public transportation. So it took, you know, new public transportation 99.9% of the time. Um, even like when I would go out, me and my friends would like get dressed up, heels and everything, and get on the train to the club. And then we would take a cab back from the club, right? We had to be safe. So it wasn't like out like out there like, oh, I'm going to take the subway back home. But taking it too, because it was a $20 cab ride back to Harlem, but I was splitting it too. That was the whole thing. It was just like everything that I could do. I also utilize my union benefits. So because in New York City, we have a really strong teachers union, I could rent a car under 25 because I was a UFT member. So I use that benefit. I use my unit benefits for my glasses. Um, I use, like, I just look through that benefits package and everything that would give me a discount. So we have these, like, I, don't, I feel like it's a nationwide thing like Plum or Work Advantage that if you buy, like you can buy your movie tickets through there, which you get like a 15 or a 20% off. I signed up for to like be a movie reviewer, which they do all of these. It, it doesn't happen all over the place, but in major cities, you get to preview movies and have to fill out little surveys. I saw like 90% of my movies for free just because I signed up for that. So it's just like, oh, come on a Wednesday night to go see this movie or Friday, whatever. As long as it was after work, I went. So I I, I figured out, I would always, and this is before Google, that's how old I am. But in this sense, like free things to do in the city. Libraries are great resources for that. But at the time, the union was a great resource. resource the library was a great resource. Um, and just look for free things. And here's the thing. Once you start going to free things, you meet people who like do this for like, this is their thing. And they then tell you free things. Today you have social media. So like in New York now we have like free NYC is a site that as a IG account that I follow. And she lists all these things that are happening in the city. So I didn't really have to spend a lot of money um, on entertainment. And I love the library, right? The library is my friend. And, and every, not every library in every city is equal. But you can rent movies from the library. You can get magazines for free in the library. You get books for free. Like, they have a lot of, like, free resources at the library. And for me, the amount of money the library saves me on books, because I'm an avid reader, is unbelievable, and the space, because I don't even have a space to store all the books that I read. So thinking of like, you're poor, it's fine. You're a teacher. Nobody expects you to be raking in the dough. But using all of these free things, um, and I had a good time, right? So it's like using all these free things freed me up 
to contribute to my retirement. And so we also have two systems, like three different systems that we can contribute to. And I started out and I've never gone below 15% in my retirement contributions. And so here's the beauty if you if you are able to do it cold turkey like I did and hit the 15%. When I hit the 15%, that mean any meant any time that I got a raise, the raise was mine because I had already taken care of my future self. Now fast forward 30 years or so almost like 25 years in education. I named my future self. My future self, her name is Lola, right? So if you're in your 20s and you're a teacher and you're sitting there thinking like, I'll never get there. I really feel like I just started yesterday. I never thought that I would be here, right? And I knew I had to sit, you know, I knew from the Susie Orman was like the person who was big then, but I knew I had to put away at least 15%. And it was hard. And what my buddy teacher said to me when she was like, you have to do this. And I was like, I can't afford it. I only make $29,000. She said to me, dude, this is your first job, right? And it was like, yeah, it was my first full-time job. She's like, you never made this much money in your life before. If you put away the 15%, you will live off the rest. And I was just like, but it's true. Putting in that 15%, meant we every time I got a raise the money was actually mine because I had already taken care of Lola like I had already taken care of my future self by putting this 15 percent if you put that 15 percent away for the next 25 to 30 years you will have over a million dollars if your salary stayed the same even if I had stayed at that that $29,600 that little bit compound interest for 20 to 30 years if you just put it in an index fund and you can go you know to to the uh, I like the the government site the best if you go and you put the compound interest in and you put like they say it it averages 10 to 8 to 10 percent be conservative put 8 percent in and do the compound 15 percent of your salary over the next 30 years see what you get They say that rock stars know rock stars. Well, I have a better saying. Teachers know teachers. And the only way that I'm going to be able to help more teachers have a richer wallet, classroom, and life is if you help me. So tell your friends. Talk about it in the lunchroom, during a PD, or just any time you see another teacher struggling with their finances. Let them know about the Teacher Money Show. I really appreciate it. I, I just, there's a lot of things I want to unpack from what you're, you're just saying. So the first thing is, you know, you, you're, you're not rich. And, you know, I also want to say thank goodness for that because people that are rich feel like they need to spend their money to flaunt their money. But teachers, we have this like, it's okay to just not because everyone knows that you're, you're poor. So when I see teachers have a doorman or, you know, whatever, you're like, why? Like, you don't need to show off to anybody. You're a teacher. So if you can do things, just just save money because who cares, right? That's that's the big lever that we can pull as a teacher right now. We, we don't, you know, get to demand a raise or work overtime. I mean, like, we do work overtime, but we don't get paid for it, right? We don't get to do all these things that people do in other jobs, Um to, to increase our income, we can do side hustles and things like that. But 
one of our biggest opportunities is just to reduce our expenses, right? If we can just reduce how much that we're spending every single month, you know, then you have that 15%. Anyone can have that 15% if they're willing to live the life of 15% less, which you can, okay? It, it is definitely possible to but live- But here's the part about it. Less. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but here's the part about it. It's like you're putting away the 15%, but it's pre-tax. So it's not even a full 15% coming out of your net pay because it's it's pre your, you know, your taxes. So, and trust me, if you do this as a new teacher and it's just living below your means. And so I get that student loan debt is huge, but if you put it on your income base and you're committed to doing it for the 10 years, then you know that it makes it much more easy to handle in, in your thing, in your your whole budget. And just as you're, if you're able to do it based on $29,000, when you're making $50,000, $60,000, you're good. All that money comes to you. So it's almost like a bit of delayed gratification. It's going to be rough for those first couple of years, but you'll get used to it to some degree, and I splurged, I also traveled. So I, I don't want to make it sit there like I was like some frugal lady um, with my library books. I went to Brazil. I went to California. I like, I did all those things. But on that, that's where you maximize your benefits. That's the other part, understanding what your benefits are and maximizing them. Yeah, I mean, I I, I always don't know how to explain the math, but like if, if you have 15% before taxes, because you're not paying taxes on that amount anymore, it's not a full 15%. So like you, it, it's, you can put away more money, but keep more money in your pocket. I think that's just a brilliant little hack that people don't seem to realize. Mm -hmm. Also, it's, it's like the very first paycheck that you ever have. You say, I'm going to get 15% from here on out. You will not miss it because nope. you never had it, right? You will naturally live off of what you have. That's just like, even if you had $100,000, I guarantee that you would be very good at spending $100,000. Mm -hmm. So whatever you have, you can live off of that. Um, if you feel like you need more, you can, you know, do a side hustle or do these extra things to get more stipends or whatever at work. But just start off with that that uh, investment. And then um, I, I like how you brought up the uh, the investor.gov is, um, is the website. They have a calculator there. You can say, I'm going to put in this much every single month, you know, assume say 8% interest, which is pretty conservative for putting it in the stock market over a 30 year period. Uh, you'll just see, you'll be shocked at how much money you will have if you put in 15% of your gross income every single month. And that's with it not changing, right? You, you can also, you know, play exactly. with like if it's 15%, right? 15% of 30,000 is different than 15% of 50,000. So your contribution will go up automatically with your raise. And then all the money that you get more from your raise is yours to have fun with, to go to Brazil with or whatever. And if you're, you know, living in a, a nice, you know, apartment that that's that's not, you know, overly expensive, you're, and you're with a roommate, you know, splitting bills, things like that, going to the library, and then you'll have extra money to do things like go to Brazil. Or if you, I don't know, really like cats, then you can get a couple of cats or you know whatever it is that you want that you really, really want. That's what you can spend your money on instead of oh, I have every single month, I have to pay this much in rent, I have to pay this much in utilities, I have to pay this much in this and this much in this and so on and so forth. If you can cut back those expenses, then you can 
intentionally put money towards things you really, really want instead of just letting it slip away on things that don't matter to you. Yep. That, 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 I mean, as a new, and here's the other thing as a new teacher, like you put the, so that's the pension, right? That's your future self. Then you have your benefits. So definitely maximize your benefits. Like we got also, um, we're able to get our Metro cards pre-tax. So that lowers it a bit, a bit more as well. So definitely use that aspect. Um, you know, discounts like educate, like J crew, if you go to J crew and you show your teacher's ID, it's 15% off, like knowing the benefits really help. And like what you have that I didn't have back then was Google, right? You can literally Google teacher discounts and like pages upon pages of them will come up and you'll be like, oh, wow, go to your union. If you have one, like what are your, what what are your discounts there? The other part of it is, and I mean, like, I know I went to a sample sale one time and the people didn't have a uh, change. And this is the time that troll books, I used to, have, used to have to do it in cash. And so I had like $300 in singles in my bag because I had the troll book money. So they were like, we'll buy, like, we want the singles off of you. So I gave them all the singles. So they gave me 20% off of the sample sale because, like, I had to, and people, like, when I tell people I'm an educator, they're like, oh, my God, you're a teacher? I'll do this for you. And I'm always like, oh, thanks. That was nice. Because people, I mean, we don't get a good, you know, sometimes we got it really good right at the start of COVID. Then the parents were like, why don't the teachers want to go back to work? But, in, you know, people honor educators, and there are lots of programs that we can use. So if you maximize your benefits that come from work, and that's like if you have access to an HSA account, if you have, like, the commuter benefits, if you have dependent care, all of those things, you have to research what is offered where you are and see if they work for you. So those are the ways that I save money, but you start automating it, right? So your retirement is automated. You have that 50%, that 15% minimally if you're new in your career, and then every raise then belongs to you. Then I got to the point, um, and trust me, like I got to the point where certain things were like automated as far as like paying um, rent. And I was saving for a house when I first started teaching. Like I just, like I was living in Harlem. It was a hot real estate um, area. And I, like, I didn't know what it was to buy a house. And so I was trying to figure it out. And so I also had another bucket where I was just like putting money in this little savings account, little by little saying like, I want to purchase um, a home. So it was just like, I am a planner. I will say that, but that's a planning in the early stages of your teaching career will save you um, and allow it will save you a lot of money and it will allow you to save and, uh, and invest a lot of money and here's the thing doing it in a regular savings account or even a high yield savings account is not going to get you there you definitely need to have a savings and a high yield savings account but the investment is really what's going to make your money grow and your time horizon being 25 years, 30 years out will definitely um, get you there with just being conservative with the 8%. But so, when it comes to the student loan, I just want to warn you, don't do the the income-based one if you're not committed to staying 
in education or some type of nonprofit for the 10 years. Cause then you'll be like, that's what she advised me to do. And then I left the career and I have all this money that I have to pay back. So be mindful with your loan, student loan choices, how you choose to pay that back. That is a good point. Uh, you brought up retirement accounts. Uh, mm -hmm. So I want to, to kind of swing this way. So let's say we, we've convinced a young educator that they need to start putting money away, you know, 15%. Uh, and they can start, you know, saving money, start with, you know, investing money, but invest in what, right? What, what are the options? What is, what are the best options? What, what, what are they investing in? Are they buying a bunch of cryptocurrency? Like what, what's the, what's the thing <laughs> they need to be doing? Okay. You're a teacher. You have to do lesson plans. <laughs> you have to manage children. <laughs> do a lot that you have to do. Now there are people who researching individual stocks, uh, trading options is their jam. And because it is, they can find the time to do that. It's not my ministry. I am a slow investor. I'm a turtle. I claim it. And because, like, I'm a single mom and I'm a first-generation college grad. <laughs> like, I didn't want to lose my money. Now, what I recognize as a New York City educator, in our retirement option, we actually have a fixed um, return option, which guarantees us 7% as teachers. So if we are teachers and we put the money in that fixed option, we're guaranteed 7%. So I don't give investing advice, but what I say is, if you don't know what to do, that's where I would put my money until I figured out what I wanted to do, right? Where I know, because when you read perspectives on any other stock options, it always says past, uh, past growth does not indicate future growth. Like they're really clear. They guarantee you nothing. But in New York City, they guarantee you 7% if you're a teacher and 8.25% if you're not a teacher. So if that's the case, until you figure it out, put it there. If you're not a New York City teacher, or you don't have a fixed option available to you. I think the good old granddaddy of them all, the index fund. Why an index fund? And there's so many different ones, right? So you can do an S&P 500 index fund. You can do a total stock market index fund. You could do a Dow Jones, you could do a NASDAQ. And so if you don't know what these indexes are, generally when you watch your evening news, they tell you about the S&P 500, they tell you where the Dow is, and they tell you where the NASDAQ are. And those indexes are just bags of different stocks in a, in a various sector. So if you do the S&P 500, you're in a fund that is made up of all the stocks in the S&P 500. Likewise, the NASDAQ, that's all the tech stocks. And so it's just following the market. And there are very few advisors that beat the market. So it's pretty safe um, bet to say, like, you can watch it go up and down every night on nightly news if that's your jam. But you know that your, move, like your money is um, increasing. So that, but if you're a type of person who's willing to do the the investigating and and the research, I say have at it. Yahoo Finance is a great site to go to to see like what stocks you're interested in, what they're doing, and they allow you to do a portfolio for free, so you can track it for a while to see 
if it's something that you feel comfortable investing in. And you can also follow index funds on on Yahoo Finance to see like what would this look like or what has this looked like for the past couple of years. That's that's awesome. I, I like how you're just saying like don't do anything crazy unless you're really you know wanting to learn about it because if, if you're going to just you know, like you know your cousin Jerry says hey I got this great stock tip you should totally buy this random company you never heard of run for the hills okay if you don't know what you're investing in don't invest in it uh, the the great thing about an index fund is I can explain it to you in three minutes and you can know what you're investing in and it's pretty pretty straightforward like S and P 500 right there's 500 top companies in America. If you buy into the S&P 500, you are invested in those 500 companies. Now, guess what? If a company is no longer in the top 500, they are no longer in that index fund, and the company that replaced them is now in the index fund. So like JCPenney, I don't believe they're still in the 500, right? But they used to be, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So like they, they've fallen off the index, and someone else has replaced them. So that means that the S&P 500 will never go to zero. Unless, you know, like America goes to zero, in which case you have bigger problems than you're an S&P 500 going to zero, right? <laughs> it's going to continue to be, you know, a, a viable option and it'll follow the market, right? It'll go up most years, go down some years because that's how the market has operated. Once again, if it starts going down year over year over year, you've got bigger problems, okay? Because that means that we've, we have a major crisis that we're going to have to deal with. So the, the historical says it's going to go up over time. And that's just what's going to happen, right? Index funds don't require a lot of management. So the fees are low and you can put money in automatically and never think about it until the day you retire. So that's why people like index funds. It takes zero brain energy. It's, you know, going to mirror the market pretty closely and it's cheap as far as investing goes. And you have to pay some fees, but not a ton. So that's why if you're not going to put in all the work yourself and you don't really love doing all the other investing stuff, go with an index fund. Yeah. That, I mean, so when I looked at my, so in, in looking at my retirement options, she was, and that's what my buddy teacher told me. She was like, if you're not sure, just put it in the fixed option and then you'll figure it out. And I was like, okay. Um, so I put it all in the fixed option. And then um, I read, Susie Orman's Nine Steps to Financial Freeman. That was like the first finance book that I read, um, which kind of explained a lot of things to me. But the one important piece of advice that I got out of that book was read something financial every month. So I got a subscription to Money Magazine. And so it it wasn't my jam initially. So in that case, I would take the full month and I would try to read an article, a couple of articles a, a week or whatever so that I could then become familiar with the financial terms and what the, the options that were out there so that I could make an informed decision. And in in doing all of that, the fixed option was really still pretty good to me, but there were, you know, other options in my, um, that are offered to me in my 403B. Um, and there was a time that I kind of had money in each of the little options because I just kind of wanted to see what what was going to happen. And I could do that as a new teacher because I had 20, 30 years left to go so I could make, you know, mistakes. And even in making those mistakes, they really don't count until you sell. So that was that was the, the other thing that I learned. I could watch my money go up and down um, over the years in the different buckets um, that way. So 
that's the beauty of also being new and young when starting out. You definitely have time to recover from any, and I say mistakes with air quotes, because it's learning. Um, That's what we tell our students all the time that, you know, we have to try in order to learn. And so we have to do the same with our retirement. Um, We're not always guaranteed. Generally, we're not guaranteed a return. And so as you do things, you'll learn, but you'll also have time to recover from those, um, any mistakes that you make. I love it. Okay, I just have one last piece of advice before we go on to the end of the show here. I just want to make sure everyone's aware that you have a lot of different options you can invest in. And and I did a whole show on this with Jerry Bourne, the millionaire educator. So you can be on the lookout for that. Uh, it's fantastic where we, we dive into each of these. But I mean, as a teacher, you have the 403B, which I'd be leery of the 403B because they're not as regulated as 401Ks. So make sure you have low fees and, you know, that you're not going to be just losing money buying things that have high fees. Anything above 1% in fees is high for investing. So just be on the lookout for that. Uh, There's a a great website, 403B Wise. If you need help choosing a 403B option through your school, check them out. They've got a lot of resources to help you with there. The 457B has a lot of benefits that I talked about with Jerry once again. So that's another place you can put money. And then you have an HSA most likely because you have a high deductible uh, insurance plans. So that's another place you can put money. An IRA, you have Roth options for all of these. Like, so there's just so many things you can do with your money, not to mention the fact that you have a pension already and you have, um, you know, the ability to just invest in a, a regular taxable brokerage account. So uh, just do your, do your research, you know, listen to that episode, make sure you know where you're putting your money, make sure you're getting the best uh, options for you and your plans. Uh, but once you're in one of those things, that's just a play, that's like a, a, a tax bracket or a tax um, code number. Inside of that, you need to invest it in something. So like you can't just be like, oh, I put my money in my 403B. You know, you have to, once it's in there, you have to do something with it, right? You need to say, okay, in the 403B, it needs to go to this index fund or that, you know, target date fund or this whatever fund. Because if you don't, they, there's some sad stories of teachers who threw money in their 403B every single month for an entire career and didn't know they had to invest it and it sat there doing nothing. So just yeah. be aware that, that like a, a vehicle, a 403B, a 457, an HSA, uh, if you can invest that, you know, those things are not going to be what you are investing in. That's just where your money sits and then you can invest it from there. So uh, make the right choice of what vehicle to put it in and then make the right investment choice. Those two things go together and compound over uh, a really long career. Well, you know what? Uh, this has been a lot of fun and we've, we've really got a lot of great uh, great advice for for new teachers who are just trying to figure out what you need. You know, lower your income, uh, lower your expenses, increase your income, you know, put up weight 15% right out of the gate and just invest in something easy to grow your income over, you know, 25, 30 years. I, I think that's just the best way to, to, to approach this, especially as a teacher. Uh, but as we're wrapping this up, I just have two more questions for you. What is your number one tip for a new teacher to have a richer wallet classroom in life? For a new teacher, definitely think about your future self and put away money for that so if you have to honor yourself right and you you know you can't pour from an empty cup so if you don't take care of yourself first 
before you and I love my kids, right? <laughs> before your kids and anything else is put away money for your future self. Time is on your side um, and maximize the opportunity that you have to put away money for your future self. I love it. I think that's a perfect piece of advice. Okay, last question for you. Teachers are like, man, this black is awesome. She's the best. I want to learn more from this wonderful woman. Where can they get in contact with you and learn more about you? So the best place to do that is on Instagram at staying in the BLK. Um, that's what I am across all accounts, but I actually like I live and engage on um, Instagram the most. My website is staying in the BLK um, dot com and I have a podcast. So you always feel free, which is staying in the black. Um, you can listen where I just do all things finances because all as teachers, we experience a lot of different financial um, things. And so I try to make do it through the lens of a teacher, right? So you're a teacher and you have this experience because it's really hard often. Um, a lot of financial advisors don't want to deal with us because they can't control a lot of our money because it's usually tied up with the state or the city some way. And so we have to do a lot of searching um, and figuring things out on our own. So um, listen to the podcast and thank you so much, Sean, for, for having me today. Well, it's been a lot of fun and I can't wait to talk to you again. If you'd like to come on the podcast for coaching, to share an expert opinion, or just to talk about a topic you think is relevant, I'd love to talk to you. Just fill out the form at teachermoneyshow.com slash guest. I look forward to talking with you.